I am the master, and you will obey me. Listen to Dan Hadley on Type 40, a Doctor Who podcast, or face the consequences. for Type 40, a Doctor Who podcast from the Spacebook for the Fandom Podcast Network with me, Dan Hardley, Birmingham's king of the geeks, your designated driver, your mouth runner, mirth maker. <laughs> if we're lucky, ready to deliver Doctor Who conversation and content once again here on our free-speaking, big-thinking, eclectic show for everyone, whatever decade or century you started watching, reading or listening along to those ongoing adventures of our hero, Doctor Who. We talk about it all on this show. All opinions are completely valid, and we've even been known to have a few laughs along the way. So come and step into our TARDIS and share this journey together here with us on Type 40. Back again here for more Type 40, Doctor Who talk from up and down your vortex <laughs> and uh, yeah just like tom at the beginning of the deadly assassin i'm companionless for this trip i know you can't get the stuff <laughs> these days can you but uh, i'm going to waste no time in bringing on my first guest he's going to squirm when i call him doctor who podcast royalty but i know that lots of you will know his name from wherever but it's most likely to have been on countless episodes of uh, doctor who Podshock, and now as the as the showrunner, the man behind one of the biggest events in the Doctor Who calendar, that's Long Island Who, I'm delighted to welcome to Type 40, the one, the only, Mr. Ken Deep. Hey, Dan, how are you? You made me blushing here with all this uh, high praise. I say this time and time, we never scrimp on the intros here, Ken. You spared no expense, but you're not companionless. Consider this more like a Two Doctors episode. I like it, I like it. Contact... <laughs> contact yeah, from across. <laughs> yeah, so you have done it all in Doctor Who fandom. You've been around, I'm sorry to rub this in, mate, but you've been around for a very, very long time uh, yeah. as a podcaster, show running that convention. How many L.I. Who's have, they been, have there been so far now? Nine or ten at this point. We started on the 50th. We skipped a COVID year, and then one year we combined 
Ally Who and Ally Geek, which is our general sci-fi one. Yes. So yeah, it's been it's been um, close to ten years that we st- we started it up. You're it, back it, with a vengeance pretty it, pretty soon, aren't you? You've got a new one coming up before yeah later yeah, on this month. Two weeks from now, you know, coming up on the nineteenth and twentieth of November. Yeah, it was supposed to be a small one. I say that every time, and then all of a sudden, <laughs> I'm like, okay, I have fourteen flights to book or something. I have a hard yeah. time saying no. I try. <laughs> try i have it written all over the place just say no you can only say no i don't say no and then we have you know 18 million people but it's great when it was started it was only supposed to be one and then there just was no reason to stop it i think with anything you do whether it's a podcast or a convention or, or anything you feel passionate about once you've done something and other people like it yeah it's hard to stop it um probably the most heartwarming thing is to see other mm-hmm. people having a good time these things they do grow don't they they, they take on a life and an identity of their own certainly above yeah. the likes of you and i this whole thing just was you know started for kind of a, on a whim and, and and then it just kept going and people seem to love it i have a really fantastic team you know a, a, an all-volunteer staff that put their heart into it that translates you know you if yeah. you're if your staff are grumpy, you're not going to have a great con. It, it really does translate. You're bringing positive energy. The audience is bringing positive energy. People are, are going to have a wonderful time. The people who work it have just as much fun as the people who are attending it. And, and hopefully that's the key. Well, I know of several people who go to LI who, and they tend to go back time and time again. I know some of the guests, you do have people, faithfuls, don't you? Who It I seems like they never, they never miss. They never miss. I think Fraser's a regular with you, isn't he? I can't keep Fraser away, uh, despite my best efforts. You know, Fraser and Daphne, when I first started, they were the first two that that stepped up and kind of said to other guests, we know this guy. Um, It's not a fly-by-night thing. You know, if if, if it all goes south, everyone will be made good and things like that. And and their vote of confidence really, really helped it take off. And, And Fraser in the COVID year, he was just like, he kept texting me saying, you know, flights are really cheap right now. You know, flights are really cheap right now. <laughs> I said, listen, I don't know if I'm having a convention. If I'm not, you're welcome to come over and hang out, and we'll watch Doctor Who together in the living room, and we'll get you out of the house. <laughs> it got to the point where I thought he was going to jump in a boat and just row to America. There's no uh, stopping that man. Is There's no stopping him. Or Matt Jacobs and Vanessa Euler, I think that you've got... Have you got them with you then? You certainly I do. I their just film. added them, yeah. They're going to come and do a screening on the Friday night before the con even starts, a special uh, Doctor Who Am I screening. And part of it was filmed at L.I. Who, so we're really excited. It's like having a, a hometown uh, event. Yeah. I've got the Blu-ray on pre-order. I've, yes, I have, Matthew. I have. <laughs> <laughs> because yeah, we had them on the show a few weeks ago. You know, delightful company. And I'm in that time since we recorded that episode, it, it's got considerably bigger for them. More screenings have opened up. Uh, lots and lots of promotions and things. It's it's wonderful to see. And they just signed a deal for American distribution or North American distribution. It's more than just like a feel-good piece. It really has a lot of heart. It's an interesting story and. As an American, I'm a, I'm, I'm a little biased. It's nice for, for the U.S. fans to get a little bit of love. Of course. No, I completely uh, for agree. For many, many years, the, the BBC behind-the-scenes things focus, and rightfully so, on, on British fandom. But it's to both American and British fandom credits that we have so many similarities, and yet we also like the countries themselves. They have their own unique differences, you know, the, the, with how we 
Couldn't agree more. Couldn't agree more. The word is out about Doctor Who Am I and about your book as well, because this is why you're here this time, isn't it? It's not as the showrunner of L.I. Who or as a podcast, although you have sort of stepped into the breach again. You haven't gone rusty by any stretch of the imagination there. You're here as as a writer, aren't you, this time? A writer on this brand new book. It's called A World of Demons, The Villains of Doctor Who. Should we be, and it's, we're past Halloween now, but should we, we be scared talking about this? No, I, I think that Halloween goes for 365 days. There's some people who, they live Halloween year-round. Uh, they do. And and who doesn't like a bad guy? You know, our, our hero would be nothing without strong adversaries. They do say, don't they? These actors that you have on stage, numerous actors say it's much more fun playing the bad guy. Yeah, absolutely. And I'm one, this is my this is my first uh, attempt at writing. I'm really thrilled about it. My when the publisher asked me about, um, you know, they were sending out copies to each of the writers. I said, don't don't even send mine first. Send one to my mom because I really want her to see it. You know, my mom <laughs> is a voracious reader, and That's to have her son have something in in print was a was a big deal. So uh, and I and I did it for fun but i really enjoyed it and i i hope it continues um and i'm yeah. one of i don't know what 15 other writers in this in this um series of essays it's quite the list isn't it 17 essays all in all yeah. make up this book we're going to talk to a couple of your fellow writers in a couple of minutes that's all coming up you may want to make sure you've got a, a comfy seat and you might have to check behind the curtains and whatever else before we get into that before we get stuck in, though, it's my duty to remind you that uh, if you'd like to do some real-time travelling of your own, each and every edition of this show, past, present and future, is just a tap or two away on the device of your choice if you know where to look. There's well over 100 reviews, previews, interviews, geek outs and deep dives with all our regulars and some pretty awesome guests. In fact, we know there's something for every fan at type40.podbean.com. There'll be more about all of that a little later on, as well as a couple of minutes where we will uh, make contact with that matrix of all knowledge that we call the Fandom Podcast Network. There's so many other cult conversations going on over there, and yeah, we'll, we'll fill your ears with talk of all of that in due course. Okay, that's uh, all the, the housekeeping done. Uh, we've got to beware beware of any pentagrams, Ken, or, or pendulums. Any other signs that there, there may be a demon or two on the loose, hadn't there? We, <laughs> you can't be too careful, can you, as we get stuck in? I'll tell you a quick funny story. I, I, ordered, yeah. I ordered a sports whistle for work on Amazon. It was like, it cost me like three bucks or something. Amazon sent me an email the next day saying, could you review the whistle? Okay. <laughs> How do you review a whistle? So, using the word demons, uh, I said it, it has the sound of a thousand screaming demons. I mean, what, what else can I say about a whistle? Was that appreciated? <laughs> they finally published it, yes. Um, I mean, what? how else could I describe it? It sounds like Bambi. Like, that wouldn't sound like a whistle. Yeah, I think that, I think you did, you did the best with the material that you got. I think they can, we can safely say that. that. Exactly. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, I remember my English teacher in absolute despair at the, the variety or more likely lack of in my chosen 
reading matter back whenever that was. Uh, I remember saying, it seems like there's been more written about that TV series than about the collected works of Shakespeare. <laughs> I remember that so vividly. And that was some time ago. But Doctor Who in print, it continues to, to expand. And uh, perhaps unsurprisingly, in a, a franchise so remembered for that, for that chill factor that it all stays with us over the decades, doesn't it? And a great many books have indeed looked at the uh, the Doctor's fierce opponents, the wrong uns, the bad eggs, the nasty bad... Well, you, you get the picture. <laughs> and released this very week from uh, from this brand new uh, outfit this collective of writers and uh, fayetteville mafia press with tucker ds press that's two publishers that are putting this out is uh, is a world of demons the villains of doctor it's a collection of works delving into decades worth of these characters all delivered to us on the screen at various points over that time and some of the writers who've contributed to that book are with us today so first of all we've got hannah friedman and hi everyone hello hannah can you hear me where are you calling in from hannah i'm in chicago she's Thank in chicago it's our pleasure and all the way from from south london we've got shane thomas too hi shane hello good stuff okay so this is this is it demons monsters villains and, and all this this book is made up of 17 essays on, on these characters and these scenarios from, from Doctor Who history. So which one have you contributed, Shane? What's yours called? Uh, mine is called, and I didn't come up with this title, but I'm very happy with the title. It's called, the title of the chapter is called Stephen Moffat Exit Stage Left. Okay. Well, um, which a, is deliberately obscure. Um, a different kind of villain, Stephen. Sorry, sorry if you're listening. <laughs> Go on, yeah. yeah. I'm actually quite, I'm actually quite um, complimentary towards him because this is on his final series. Yeah. Peter Capaldi's final series and the villains aren't they're not tangible villains in a sense so like if mm -hmm. we will copy the book if you look at the book the cover and the back cover has many villains we associate with the show it does it's yeah. glorious yes yeah, a great cover um Zygons the master Cybermen and so on my villain isn't any of them oh. my my villain is more on two particular particular structures that Capaldi's Doctor the 13th comes up against in that series embodied by one of quite forgettable characters to be honest but the interesting thing about that chapter is a doctor coming up against a villain that they can't beat it sounds almost psychological and is, is this quite a personal thing i mean is this something that you'd latched onto have you unlocked something something from your own psyche to to bring this to the page Shane? not consciously even though subconsciously probably but what that's what they call Ken. That's what they call a disclaimer. Yeah. Yes. But um, but it was mainly because the two uh, those two episodes I focused on Finn Ice and Oxygen, and I think those two the two of the best episodes. Love of the those. Show's come, yeah, yeah, I think those two of the best episodes of the show's come back, and I don't think they've had anything near the love that I think they deserve. As a Ooh. looking generally on social media and conversation, I don't really see anyone talking about these episodes ever. And I think they're two of the most interesting as well as two of the best. So you saw an opportunity here to sort of redress that balance a little and to, and to tap into something, some uh, hanging fruit that you felt other people hadn't picked yet. 100%. Um, that was, I mean, that was when the opportunity with this book came about. I thought, well, everyone's rushing to do a, da to do a dialect chapter, Cybermen chapter, Zygon chapter. So let me just put all that to one side. 
because I it's not nothing wrong with that, but I don't think I have anything to say on them that most people wouldn't and probably do better. So let me try and go see. somewhere else. I see. Tell us more as we're going along. And how about you, Hannah? What have you contributed to, to the book? Uh, my essay was called um, No Heroes in the Library. And um, about the Vashtanarada episodes, the two-parter, um, Silence in the Library and Forest of the Dead. And the interesting thing about this one that I spent a lot of time sort of meditating on this in the essay is I don't know that there are any villains. I don't know that the Vashtanarada are actually villains. Um, and I leave that sort of as an open question of like, who is who is doing wrong by who here, right? Is it the doctor? Is it River? I mean, River does some really morally questionable things. The Vashnarada are obviously very violent, but that doesn't necessarily mean they're doing wrong or doing evil. And just kind of questioned what villainy really means. I look across at something like, like Batman in DC Comics. Yeah. All those uh, various people who get in, uh, what's it called, in the Arkham Asylum. Yeah. You know, and all those characters. And The Flash, too, is, they've all got these sort of rogues gallery, haven't they? But a lot of the characters in those universes, they reflect the main hero in some way, don't they? Either in their, their abilities, their powers, or in a psychological way. And in some ways, I think that Doctor Who is, is kind of like that, too. I agree. I agree. And I think the big difference between Doctor Who and one of the reasons that Doctor Who is so much closer to my heart than more traditional superheroes, like The Flash, like Batman is um, there's this real binary of putting somebody in prison, right? You're bad, I will lock you up. I am, I am not evil, if I killed you, I would be evil, but I will rid the world of you in a way that is not doesn't go as far as me killing you and taking on accountability for being the bad guy, right? And I think a lot of superheroes, DC superheroes, Marvel superheroes, a lot of American stories, it's really simple. It's you're bad, I'm good, even if we're similar, but the complication is that we're similar and the hero still has to be like, okay, so that part of me is bad. Whereas Doctor Who repeatedly does the reverse where he empathizes with the people he's trying to save the world from. Like, I see that you're evil. I see why you're doing it. I wish I could help you. Um, that story, I think, comes out over and over again. I love that about Doctor Who. And even sometimes when it seems obvious, visibly obvious, who is literally wearing, some, in some cases, the black hat and the white hat. Yeah. Doctor Who has this habit, doesn't it, of sort of um, subverting that, of, of taking us back on what we think we know about these characters and who we think we can relate to and why and who the real villains are. Yeah. I think it's always done that. Yeah, I agree. And how about you, Ken? Because have you written before? Have, have you written uh, fiction or, or, or prose before and it's just passed me by? Uh, what's your no. contribution to this? No, this is the, this is the first time and when it was when I was approached about it, um, I was trying. Well, my first choice would have been Silurians and Sea Devils for the very reason that we're that we're having in this in this conversation. Um, but I think Jan Fennick grabbed it up before me, and um, it's because they're not evil or they're not. Um, they actually have they actually have the right to the planet, and and then so that's actually interesting to me that they're not yeah. pure villainy they're not i'm here to destroy you they're like listen this is our spot it's you very are... ethically loaded isn't it the absolutely. That whole topic absolutely and and fascinating too right we, we we picture um monsters or alien races coming from someplace else but in in the case of the silurians and sea devils they're right here you know they're they're um, terrestrial so i found that very interesting but once that was not an option 
I tried to pick something that I thought would be challenging, that'd be fun to write, and also that would get me on panels at conventions for probably the next two or three years. And that is, uh, <laughs> what if the what if the villain of the show is actually the doctor? Everywhere he goes, people die. Um, but at the same time, I didn't want I didn't want to receive buckets of hate mail for people saying this guy hates the show. He's been following the show for forty years, and all of a sudden he thinks the, you know, the, the main the, the, the main hero is the bad guy. So I I did it kind of tongue in cheek and had a little fun with yeah. it. I mean, my favorite line to kind of quote from my piece is, and then the third doctor joined the army. I mean, if that doesn't sum up this this sort of you know how do, how does this pacifist join the army kind of thing? How does he hook yeah. up the unit and 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 square that circle? It's one of those wonderful contradictions that exists right at the heart of this of this series, isn't it? Of this fictional universe, there's several of them. And uh, you know, people sort of scoff at that, and, and rightly so, because it, it is all this is all very silly. It's all it's all apparently it's all make believe. So keep it down, keep that to yourself. <laughs> so you know that that nice. accepted, but that accepted, I, I feel that uh, the slightly contrary nature of Doctor Who is actually reflective of the real world. It, it's that uh, situation we talked about a moment ago, Hannah. We are all these different things. There's just as there's good and bad in everybody. Anybody can be a hypocrite on a bad day, just as, just the same as we can be any anything else. And we we, cha- we you know we do some sometimes change our allegiances, and we sometimes get lost lost in a moment, or in our in our beliefs, or in something we're very impassioned about, or, or sometimes too close to. And that's again, that's something that for a a children's stroke family series, as Doctor Who is certainly perceived as, whether it actually is or not, that's probably another debate. I think that it does stray into that kind of territory boldly at its best but there's a big difference isn't there we, we often say on this show that uh, the monsters are the real stars of doctor who but um the monstrous and the villainous they're different too aren't they ken yeah they're not the same from monster to monster each doctor who monster has something that has something to be said i mean i think i think the the writing in doctor who is something that always attracted me to the show going back 40 years uh, exploring some kind of idea using science fiction. Science fiction's at its best when it's about metaphor and it's about um, you know, symbolism and, and using these outrageous concepts to tell a very real story. And Doctor Who monsters are no exception. Uh, the Cybermen being a warning for body part replacement or AI or all the things that we're we're grappling with right now and uh, you know with bots. With, you know, with bots on yeah. Twitter. I mean, that's these yeah. are these had to be imagined before they became reality. Um, the Daleks being uh, uh, a metaphor for for Nazi Germany and, and things like that. I mean, that's, that history repeats itself, and uh, and and so using these concepts, they don't they don't get outdated. They they no. they they, um, they reinvent themselves all the time. But sadly, we can't seem to learn uh, anything from history. No, no. Doctor Who is full of what we now call mask-off moments, isn't it? It absolutely is. Well, I've been looking up, and the uh, the definition of the word of the word villain, as opposed to sort of monster or anything like, like that, is it says it's a character in a story or a play who opposes the hero, opposes. So it's not making any judgment on the hero or or the villain as such, Hannah. It's it's keeping things kind of opaque secondarily it says a deliberate scoundrel 
or a criminal. And we can like scoundrels too. Yeah. Again, very interesting choice of words. Thirdly, one blamed for a particular evil or difficulty. And I think between all three of those, that does. You can drop pretty much any villain that I can think of in Doctor Who history into into any of those holes, really. Just like we talked about DC Comics. But I think it's the same with most fictional universes, you know, whether we're looking at, at something like, like Sherlock Holmes, something, you know, something like that, or whether you're looking across to, to Pokemon or, or that, kind of, that kind of world. All of those universes, they've all got their own rhythms and their own idiosyncrasies and, and the functions of right and wrong and that sort of scale. It's very, very different, isn't it? What I love about Doctor Who is how it balances in that respect. It seems to walk this this line. You'd think it would be a gulf apart, but I don't think, it, it turns out it probably isn't. It walks the line between pantomime and sort of Shakespeare. And it's really interesting how, how it does that. But what, what do you think, Shane? What makes a good Doctor Who villain, a memorable Doctor Who villain? Um, also, can I quickly come back to something you said um, before? If you um, must. Yeah, yeah, I must. Uh, um, uh, regarding uh, your, what you're saying about... Um, the doctor as a character as far yes as like you said we can all be a hypocrite yeah forget genre fiction just fiction even the most memorable characters in fiction particularly on screen they're often memorable because of the gap between how they see themselves and who they actually are and it's that gap or like tony soprano or jake peralta or cassian Ander or most or in this case the doctor it's all it's always that gap between who they are or how they're perceived and how they actually are in terms of their actions and as far as memorable villains go the cliche always is that the villain is just the or the villain is just the protagonist from a different perspective so it it really does boil down that simple um i don't think it's as simple as that i think that's a key underpinning for like every every villain my and it's this is subjective but my personal like of villains is i actually like villains who are competent and who are very good at what they do and present a, a genuine challenge. So, what, two weeks ago, we saw Jodie Whittaker's final episode. And that for about, I'd say spoilers, but I'd hope people have watched it by now. That for about three quarters of the episode was a very, very efficient version of the Master. Um, there was an argument that this mm. Doctor has maybe been the most feeble and ineffectual throughout. But the, uh, the Master handles this Doctor very very easily and gets in a position of extreme dominance and strength um, it was a delicious uh, take on the master from sasha dewan particularly in that i felt yeah he was he was outstanding it's a, it's a bit he won't be playing the character anymore because i think he finally got it right um i think he finally figured figured out how to play right, found it. that found that balance yeah. he he found that tone superbly even with his last line which showed a level of terror and fear and and almost childlike fear the final but, I mean, is the master the ultimate Doctor Who villain then, based on what yeah. you just said? Yeah, because I always think the best villains are usually the other side of the coin. So it's the Doctor and the Master, it's Batman and the Joker, it's Sherlock Holmes and Moriarty. A couple of different choices in life. Somewhere in the multiverse, those two people have swapped places. And the Master... Because the whilst there's, the, there's beings like the Black Guardian out there, which are significantly larger and more powerful than, than the Doctor. And there's the smaller, there's everyday people, there's businessmen that the Doctors come up against, or businesswomen come to think of it. It's everyday people who, who become villains in the average story, but you, you think somebody on the Doctor's level, literally their evil opposite. It's the always Darth, the most sort of palpable way of... Darth Vader and Luke Skywalker. They are very nearly the same person. 
they just went down the generation apart parts. yeah yeah i mean their case is you know it's obviously more complicated than their case but it's a couple of choices either way and they're different people and they easily could have got both gone in different directions and one could have been the hero one could have been the villain and that to me is always the most fascinating and the doctors often admitted that as well about the master as um, definitely tense doctor would talk up the master and say this like the master is a really brilliant being actually is smarter than me in fact didn't wasn't it said in one of the in fact more than one of the stories hannah that the the master got a higher level degree from a university than the doctor but what do you think about what shane's just said there is he pretty much on the money or do you think do you see things slightly differently i agree with all of your points about the master absolutely i think this version of the master really brought it to the next level and really showed this level of psychic horror that we haven't seen in a while. And as far as what makes a good villain, I mean, I, I agree that I think good villains have to be competent and effective, right? Um, otherwise, we're otherwise we're punching down. Otherwise, the, the hero is punching down, and that's not fun to watch. I also, for me, a good villain is motivated by something meaningful and stands to gain something meaningful, right? Like it's actually a contest with stakes. Something um, that we can measure as well as, as the audience who are, who are watching this, that will affect us, that will chime with us, rather than just some gizmo on, on planet blob. There's, I mean, there's that, but also I have, I have very little patience for villains who want to take over the world. Who wants that? Like, why would you, what is, what is the end game there? The end game is you are, you are in charge of everything and you have a lot of work to do. Okay. I, I don't care. I, it's really hard to empathize with the idea of running the whole world because we don't. Um, but you delegate, honey, you delegate. <laughs> these are characters, or these are characters who don't want to delegate. These are characters who want peons instead of partners. Yes. Whereas if you look at characters whose goal is to save their species, characters who's like the Silurians, characters who have a reason for doing what they're doing and stand to lose something, it makes me care about them. And it makes it a question of like, who's really in the right and who's really in the wrong, it becomes much more philosophically interesting, I think. And that that makes me more invested. Well, how about as a, as a writer, Shane explained a little earlier on about about his take there, about what he's found to, to dig into here. How about you? Is this something that you always imagined that you would write? How did this opportunity arise? And what do you feel that, it's, what, that it brought out in you, your understanding of, of not just not just villainy, but of, of Doctor Who in particular, has it made you reflect back on some of the things you've watched over the over the years? Oh, that's a great question. I think well, this this opportunity in particular. I mean, I've this has long been my favorite story in Doctor Who. Like, I come to this as a writer. Uh, Silence of the Library, literally, yeah, literally that story or the yeah. the dynamic. Um, okay. I think I just I want to hang out in a world that's a library. I think that's fun. I want to be there. I've always loved. You're, that. you're a big reader. Yeah, I'm a big reader. Um, never, never get her out of there, Ken. <laughs> no, it would, it would be wonderful. And there's right away the key. That that same juxtaposition of I just want to live in this world. Oh, nobody gets to live in this world. There's an angst there that I think is so interesting. And there's and everyone's hurting together. In my other life, I write about mental health and trauma as issues of social justice. That's my work. So the idea of having this entire community of creatures, the Vashtarada, are a community. And also this like thrown together community of explorers and also the doctor and also Donna and also all of these people who have been saved to the program against their will. Um, it's still a community because these are people working together to achieve a goal. 
and they're all experiencing this incredibly painful thing and it's painful for all of them you know it's not that there's somebody in charge it's not that there's somebody who says like i did this thing on purpose i know what's happening i'm hurting you for a reason like they're all they're all trying to get through it together that narrative is really close to my heart in a lot of ways in order to achieve this violent goal they're required to be compassionate they're required to support each other on both sides of it i feel like i'm sort of talking around your question is this is that sort of what you're asking no but i <laughs> no you i do see exactly what you say i mean what i'm thinking about now how, what you've just described as that story as well is uh, back to our own humanity i do find ken when we open this particular can of worms it does sort of reflect on us a little. We think, oh, God, am I a little bit like that? Because as Hannah was just saying about the library, as something as benign as that, as a, a library is a place of, of reading, a place of, of learning, a place of stillness in Britain, if you so much as, as a burp in a library, you know, somebody comes up and, and wags their finger, you know, you, you don't do it a second time, I promise you. Yeah, well, you know, how you just described that there, I think was you wouldn't want to spend your entire life committed to a library even if you like books because it would be an indulgence and indulgence is something as human beings that we, we should resist because it's a, it's a sin something almost biblical about it all and, and Moffat is a is brilliant in, in that type of storytelling like taking something that we uh think as we think we might want positive and, and maybe giving it a little twist and, and, and mostly for fun I don't think there's anything uh, in Stephen Moffat's mind or heart that says, I hate libraries, I have to go destroy them. Uh, I think he's just having a little fun with us and, and like you say, making making us think about it a little bit, you know, tickling our curiosity a little bit. Yeah. Uh, but, but going back to one of the things that Hannah said a little earlier that I that I really, I like I 100% agree with her on is um, I yawn the minute a villain tells me they're either taking over the world or the galaxy is threatened. Because if you haven't established those stakes over a long period of time, you're really just fast forwarding to like the crisis. There's a degree of world building that comes with that, right? You, you have to establish that the universe is all getting, it, it should take time for you to figure out, man, all these things are going wrong. They shouldn't just be like, well, the doctor said the universe is collapsing, so we better do something about it. And, 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 and to the point of someone wanting to take over the world, um, your comedy, I would say that my villain who was taking over the world would, you know, I am the administrator now. I will bog you all down in paperwork. <laughs> Bureaucracy, <laughs> you know, like, why would you want that? Oh, great. I got to sign paperwork now, you know. Do, do you have the pink form or the yellow form? Like, that's what you get when you take over the world. The character that I think about, that, that's, that's sort of so finely balanced, that's affected me over the years, and it's probably a story I've seen more than any other story, is the, the character of Barusa in The Five Doctors. Obviously, in that, spoilers for the 39-year-old show <laughs> that you must have all seen by now, everybody. But in, obviously, in the process of that, we see a character that we've come to know over several stories in the past, who's uh, put over as um, a figure of great integrity, a man of a man of learning, a figure of significance in the Doctor's personal life. But during the course of that, obviously he's, he's, getting, he's getting old, he seems to be getting weak, and he decides, it's, in, his, in his presidency, almost that he's so good at being the president 
and people seem to like and respond to him well as the president, I'll carry on. You know, people want me to be. I'd like to carry on doing this. Oh, but, you know, it's this pesky issue of mortality or running out of regeneration, sort of getting in the way. But, you know, I could. It comes out of a good place. I want to serve these people. You know, I think I can continue be doing a good job. So, I don't know, if anybody's got a right to be immortal, I guess it should be me. And you can see where that comes from and you can see the beginnings that road that he travels down but he gets to the point where he's all clad in black doing terrible things to all the doctors uh, and and everybody else in the story and he's completely eclipsed and seduced it's because they establish his history in all those stories previous that there's some weight to what he does it's stakes which are key no notion is inherently a good idea or a bad idea but it, it does depend on the execution so when it's a vast scheme like um, universal domination then yeah. you have to explain why this particular person wants to so like um i and he kind of crossed over as a very efficient villain but in the um infinity war endgame series the thanos character is that again he looked for some kind of ultimate uh, domination but it was explained in the film why he felt that so it was so it was his actions became legible rather than he's just like he's a big meanie it's like his actions. You may not have wanted him to win, but you understand why he felt he had to, and why, and why he kind of pursued his own goal with a kind of voracious zeal, um, a, a fundamentalist zeal, because it was explained. It was explained why. Um, when it's not, then it becomes, it becomes really one-dimensional and flat. And the key always is as an audience member, why should I care? Why should I be invested in this? There are two editors on this title. We've got Barnaby Edwards and David Bushman. How, how did this project come to being, Ken? Because obviously you've got these two guys who are editing your contributions. Did they approach you all individually and, and pitch you? Or did they come to you and say, what would you like to write about? How did, this, how did the book come to being? Well, the first thing I'll say is that it's it's great that we have Barnaby Edwards as one of our uh, editors, but not that Barnaby Edwards. There are two in the universe. Um, we've had them in the same place at the same time once, and there wasn't any timey-wimey stuff that happened. But Barnaby Edwards, the Dalek operator... And I recognize the name. <laughs> and Barnaby Edwards, also British but lives in New York, is the actual editor of our book. He's the president of uh, DWNY, which is the New York City-based Doctor Who group. He's the editor on, on this particular project. But he and David Bushman, um, I've known Barnaby for a long time because of Doctor Who New York. And Dave Bushman for a long time worked at the Paley Center, which is a, the Paley Center for Media is in Manhattan, in L.A. Um, they've hosted some Doctor Who things here and, and you know got to know each other. And so when he... When he left the Paley Center, he formed Fayetteville Mafia Press, which I think started as mostly like Twin Peaks fandom um, publishing. That's hence oh, I see. the name comes from. And they they made their name there and then branched out a little bit. And when it came time to do something with Doctor Who, he you know David and Barnaby spread the word out amongst um, the Doctor Who community, and I, I of course was was intrigued. By, uh, by the topic, and I'll let uh, Hannah and Shane sort of describe how they came to it and, and how they were either founded or were approached by it. 
because that's a lot of writers, isn't it, Hannah? 17 writers contributing to this to this book. Yeah, I mean, for me, honestly, I'm new to I'm new to Doctor Who fandom community. I've I've loved Doctor Who for a very long time, but I I came across this in a online writers group saying this is a this is a call for writers to pitch. So I just emailed them cold and pitched. Um, and actually, originally, I pitched two. I was I I couldn't choose. I pitched two potential topics. One of them was the one I wound up writing about. And the other one was about um, the the master, specifically Missy as the master, and that last sequence, where my my take on it was going to be, um, it was it was pretty unformed, which is why I didn't go with it. But it was <laughs> something about the idea of that redemption arc being related to her experience of PTSD from all of the horrible things she had done in her past lives and in that life too. But I didn't end up going with that. I wound up going with the other one. Because I did wonder, you know, Shane, particularly you, you're in South London and, and uh, Hannah's in Chicago, Hannah? Yeah. And, and Ken's in, in uh, New York, Long Island. So did you communicate between one another? You know, did you get to, did you sc uh, scrap over which, which uh, characters you wanted to take, which corners you wanted to look at? And did you communicate? Is there a WhatsApp group for all you writers on this project? Or have you, have you just been left in your little corners to beaver away on it, Shane? If there's a WhatsApp group, I'm definitely not on it. Um, <laughs> so, no, so I hope the answer is no, there's not one. Um, how it happened, I'll try and show the story as much as I can. Basically, a friend of mine wrote for this publisher, wrote a book for this publisher about um, women's professional wrestling, which looks at it through the realm of pop culture and feminism. She then was commissioned by them to edit a book for them on Genji Cohen, who's the showrunner of Orange is the New Black, uh, Weeds, oh, yeah, yeah. executive producer of Glow. Uh, she asked me to write a chapter for that book, which I did. That book's still out now. Because of that, they, um, she obviously has a relationship with David Bushman and Barnaby, and that then was involved in that Genji Cohen book. They then have, want to do this Doctor Who book. Scarlett, uh, my friend Scarlett Harris, who wrote the aforementioned books, put a call out. She's not interested in Doctor Who. I am. So that's when then I, similar to Hannah, I pitched a couple of ideas um, one was already taken, um, Jenny Jarvis, who wrote a chapter on Midnight. So then I went with the one that I ended up uh, penning. So that that was how I got involved. And I think it was came down different paths, but we ended up at the same destination. During your writing process, were you given a word count? And with the, the editors, I mean, did they pass it back to you and say, try taking it more in this direction? How long did it take you to write based on, on the uh, notes? if any, from, from the editors? I mean, yes, that's exactly how it works. It's, yeah, we do get a word count. I didn't meet it, I went over it, which I suspected I would. Um, it does get passed back and forth, which it really helped that I hadn't written for these lot previously with the Genji Cohen book. So I had an idea of, a rough idea of the process because I hadn't had any experience with that before. So it goes go to David and Barnaby, look at it. They say, okay, well, this is fine, but move that get rid of that not sure what you mean here you need a because presumably that. they'd be looking at well reading going through everybody's all 17 stories at the mm -hmm. same time and thinking well this is a collection of essays they've got to feel like they they all belong together in this book as 100%. well haven't they yeah 100 percent. and also it just always helps like you will you know vomit whatever comes out on the page but they're <laughs> the ones who kind of do have the requisite um distance from it because yeah. it's not coming from them to look at it honestly and it, it can feel a little bit like the school teacher going through your mark with a red pen but that's <laughs> what has to happen 
for the chapter to be half decent to be readable because if it's not it'll be garbage um and i don't think the final product changed massively from what i sent in first time but there was some stuff that had to change and definitely the order of my chapter um like the, the kind of last few paragraphs from my chapter were initially the first few more or less i don't know what it's like for uh, ken and hannah but yeah there is it's it's not like write this you know type this down send it in done there is an ongoing process so it was like it was not many months but it wasn't it was weeks a month rather than weeks i think with me before we yeah. were like okay we've locked this down we're ready to go they're both they're both nodding does that chime with your experience as well then ken yeah um well, I, I spent a lot of time procrastinating first, which I think might be. Uh, I mean, I know I know I'm new to writing, but clearly I fit right in because I waited until <laughs> the last minute. Yeah. Um, but but that was definitely the process. Once I got going, I'd send a draft in, and, and I would get notes back from from Barbie or David or both of them, and they were always, you know, it's it's always constructive. It's always um, to make the final product better, and. On occasion, I, I said, well, I don't agree with the suggestion because this is how I envision what I'm trying to do. But mm. most of the time, it was like very constructive things like we'll do more with this or expand on this because this is what we think will, will capture yeah. the, the essence of what we're trying to do. And, and for me, it, it was great. It was a great learning experience. And, and uh, you know, I, I think like a lot of things, after you, you've done it once, you you actually get a little itch to do it again because I want to take those things that I learned and actually get better at it. Um, you know, to see if I can do it without as many notes next time. <laughs> How about you, Hannah? Is it the same for you? Um, you know, honestly, there wasn't a lot of back and forth. Um, I think I think I wound up like I, I submitted my first draft and they you really hit your stride. <laughs> Um, but I, but I will say I, I did turn it in pretty late. So that was part of it as I, I really took my time and tried to like fit everything together. Um, and also I, I work as an editor, so I had an idea of what they would be looking for and what their questions would be. So I definitely like yeah. my writing process is a lot of like, I write in a fugue state and then I walk away for three days and then I come back and I read it from a different perspective, you know? So I had a, I sort of had a leg up on what I knew their issues would be with my first couple of drafts. That's definitely something that would, would, would benefit you as a writer. Yeah. You know, knowing what their expectations are, I can see what that's... And by the way, uh, Dan, Hannah and I are representing the book in Chicago, in Chicago Tars. Um, I know you are. We're going to come. We're, we're going to plug show. that. We're going to plug that later on in the show. Yeah, yeah. We have like a like a book tour. It's not my now. first barbecue, yeah. my friend. <laughs> <All right>. <laughs> <laughs> yes, I am positively chilled to the bone. They're not that scary after all, are they? But I still think it's yeah. Things have got a little bit a little bit dark in here with all this undiluted evil. So I could do with with just a moment or two, <laughs> which is handy really because that's the exact measure of moments that our Kev requires to fill you in on his maniacal plan, to fill your ears with other great conversations covering other geek culture universes, courtesy of our friends across the fandom podcast network. And meet me back here with the bad folks from a world of demons, the villains of Doctor Who. We'll be back in a couple of minutes.
Thank you for listening. We hope you're enjoying this podcast. Here are the other great shows on the Fandom Podcast Network. Culture Clash, where we discuss the latest in entertainment and pop culture. Blood of Kings, our show covering the entire Highlander universe. Couch Potato Theater, we celebrate our favorite movies. And Time Warp, our fandom flashback show discussing a year in movies and our favorite retro movie, TV, and pop culture topics. Good evening, discussing all things Alfred Hitchcock. Hair Metal Podcast, we cover the rock metal music of the 80s and early 90s. Type 40, a Doctor Who podcast, discussing the time-traveling Doctor Who universe. Letha Mullet, an action film podcast, covering the 80s, 90s, and beyond. Also, check out the Letha Mullet Network for more great podcasts. What a Piece of Junk, our Star Wars podcast. Making Treks, a Star Trek podcast, with a deep dive into the final frontier. The Fandom Show. Our Fandom Podcast Network live YouTube show discussing the hottest topics in fandom. The True Believers MCU Podcast, discussing the Marvel Cinematic and Television Universe. Union Federation, our Star Trek and the Orville show. And we're proud to welcome the BQN Network to the Fandom Podcast Network. Please visit our friends on the BQN Network, a Star Trek Universe podcast that also includes your favorite topics, movies, history, superheroes, and more. You can find the Fandom Podcast Network on YouTube. The Fandom Podcast Network is also on all major podcast platforms. The Fandom Podcast Network audio master feed is on Podbean at fpnet.podbean.com. You can find the Fandom Podcast Network on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. You can email us at fandompodcastnetwork at gmail.com. Thank you so much for listening, and remember, respect others and enjoy your fandom. Yes, we've teased, tantalized, and terrified you there. We can even clothe you too. There's merch to match all of those shows, including Type 40. If you head over to tpublic.com, search for the Fandom Podcast Network, and there you'll find a, a store full of all the team colors for all of the shows on everything from the T-shirts right the way through to phone cases and tapestries and all manner of other things, bumper stickers, you name it. Seeing is believing. Treat yourself treat your other selves and it all goes to support the fandom podcast network into the bargain so everybody wins my my panel of demons they've not sloped off anywhere to concoct some diabolical scheme or whatever they're still here and we're going to get stuck into more about this brand new book it's about to be published featuring contributions from all three of my guests on this edition of the show and yet the the publicity the whole publicity trip it's about to kick off, isn't it, Ken? So you're in Chicago pretty soon, aren't you? How many of you? What are you doing? Are you signing copies of the book? What's going on? Yes. Uh, it started in New York Comic Con. Um, Hannah and I were there along with Barnaby and David. Uh, the artist who did our cover, Arlen and Jan. And I think that was everybody, right? We have about six of us there. Yeah. And it was in advance of the book coming out, so we had a very limited number of books available to us to have there. And we were mobbed at the end of the panel. It was it was kind of fun. <laughs> um, it was definitely <laughs> definitely left me with a with a good feeling after that. And then we got together uh, the first time, like for Hannah and I to actually have a conversation. Yeah. And and this, of course, is to something like you were talking about earlier. Even like with Shane, um, this is something that we'll all share together at some point. You meet new people. You, you um, At some point, if I'm over in the UK or Shane's over in the US and we meet up, we say, oh, well, we, we collaborated on a book together. And, and, and it's an icebreaker for us 
to meet new people and uh, you know to to get to know other other people who share the same passions. So um, Long Island is is coming up in a couple of weeks, and and that we have a, a nice panel as well with the signing after it. Chicago, Hannah and I, and I believe Charles Martin will be there as well, and we have a table there. And then Gallifrey One out in L.A. Uh, will be going to Galley. We have a, uh, a table out there, and some of the um, some of the writers will be participating in different panels there. And I'm sure there'll be a panel about villainy that we can jump on. And Pensacon in Pensacola, Florida, as well mm -hmm. after that, and um, and a brand new. Brand new convention in um, Washington D.C. called um, Capital Who Fest, and that takes place in March. And, I mean, just, the list goes on and on. And, and we're going to be shamelessly shilling this for, for a while. <laughs> Hannah's very nervously smiling as somebody who's new to Doctor Who fandom. Does this intimidate you at all? Uh, no, I've I've been an event producer for long enough that I I'm in my own. I love that. I love big crowds. I love talking to new people, and I'm I'm really excited about it. I'm looking forward to seeing you again uh, in a couple weeks. Ken. Yeah, and I think you're really going to enjoy Chicago Tardis. The vibe there is just so cool. The people are so right. nice. Um, it's so laid back. I think you're going to have a fantastic time. Good. I can't wait. It'll also be nice to meet more people who are in the area, assuming that there, yeah, that there's a Chicago contingent. I'm sure there is. Yeah, actually, I, I left one off because Hannah and I were discussing um, anime drop-by uh, console room, which is in Minneapolis in, in January. You'll be our you'll be our lone representative there. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, Minneapolis in January. <laughs> so is this quite strange for you as well, Ken, as somebody who who show runs a convention? You've probably been going to them for decades as well. Now here you are talking about something you that you've been creatively involved in. Well, you know, like Hannah was mentioning that it helps she feels that it helps being an editor in the writing for me this is uh, this is my natural environment having a book it's easy for me to know what the convention promoters would look for we are really lucky shane and hannah and myself and all the writers we're very lucky that Fayetteville mafia press isn't like the rinky dink publisher like, I'm, I'm seeing stuff on walmart barnes and noble uh, over in the UK, it's it's uh, Waterstones is carrying it, and Forbidden Planet, and the, the list goes on and on. Like we're, I've been we're, seeing publicity for this book now for several months. We talked about it on Type Forty Live when it was originally announced. That's our sister show that goes out live on YouTube every Thursday. We talked about it then, went through the blurb, and and all the rest of it, and there it is with the official Doctor Who logo emblazoned across it and, and all these pictures of, of these wonderful characters that evoke evoke those stories Hannah the the classics both the both from the classic series and from the new series you, know, you see one image from it you think god yeah I remember Taron Capel uh, <laughs> and you know, all, all, the, all these characters you know they they bring so much baggage with them so many memories and uh, but yeah I mean I, I do wonder when uh, when people come up to you because obviously the book hasn't been published yet you know what questions do, do they try and tease you about your contribution or do they just want want to connect with you and congratulate you on on getting your work in print or is it a bit of both well for me honestly most of the people because i'm most people know me as a writer in other genres so i've got a lot of people i've had this conversation more times than i can count saying oh you're in a book i want to buy it i want to read it and my response is i look forward to hearing what you think these are the episodes you have to watch. Otherwise, you will have no idea what I'm talking about. <laughs> so people is, are supportive. Yeah. The people who are really excited to read my work, who have read my work in other areas. But 
have probably never seen Doctor Who. And it would be really funny to, <laughs> like, I'm, I'm sure somebody at some point is going to read it and come up to me and say, hey, I read this and I had no idea what you meant. Can you, and like. <laughs> Please elaborate. <laughs> sit down, uh, yes, sit down very close to you and they whip out a notepad and yeah, <laughs> scribble it all down. <laughs> yeah, try and put it all together. <laughs> I have I have a group of very supportive co-workers who are all like, oh, we're going to buy the book. We're going to buy the book. Our co-workers, you know, got a book coming out. And then I and I, I know I know it's going to, you know, that it's a whole lot of in jokes and a whole you know, gonna, you know, <laughs> very politely just nod and be like, yep, I read it. Because I'm sure that's what happened with my mother. I said, Dude, my mother never commented on it. I said, um, did you read the thing? She goes, oh, yeah, I read it the minute I got it. And I said, well, you didn't say anything on it because I didn't understand a word of it. <laughs> <laughs> How about you, Shane? Are you involved in Doctor Who fandom? You, you you hinted earlier on you were a big fan of the show. Have you been to conventions? Do you go to conventions? Is this a world that you're, that you're familiar with already? Not as much. I did go to one of the conventions in London earlier this year in the spring and caught COVID there. Otherwise, oh. it was great. Um, LFCC, Shane? Um, it was the MCM one. Oh, MCM. I think, okay. that, I think they've actually got another one coming up mm -hmm. with Jodie Whittaker yes. next week. Yeah, uh, uh, I believe in London. Um, but obviously, I'm not as involved in the in the hard part of the promotion as much as like Ken and Hannah and Barnaby and Barnaby and David are due to you know us, the other people piloting this TARDIS. Um, there's an Atlantic Ocean between me and them, so I have to kind of send my my general good vibes good vibes uh, across the ocean that way um, I will also say because you mentioned Dan obviously the book hasn't been released yet it'll be soon um, so like listeners who are thinking it sounds interesting I'll buy it when it's out no if, it's, if you're interested actually pre-order it now because and I didn't know this until recently but the pre-orders has a big impact on the amount of copies available so we've all had that thing we want to buy something you go on the website it's sold out it's partly sold out because they only you know, they only print so many. It. Yeah, they only print so many. There's only so many of the product available, and that's all. You know, because of capitalism yeah. is done according to demand. Um, so if you pre-order now, then people realise it's more demand, means there's a better chance of you getting the book. So I wanted to mention two things for Shane. One, we'll probably see each other next summer. I usually travel in the summer, so I'm hoping that we line up some UK-based conventions, and then we'll get a chance to see each other person uh shill these together as co-conspirators sounds good to me for my uk friends i mean all booksellers are wonderful booksellers but i'm i'm really pleased that forbidden planet uh ha probably has the best price i've seen on it so it does it does i mean i mentioned this recently on my own dot two podcast forbidden planet is probably the, it's, it's actually like cheaper than amazon which is not just not a reason to, which is other reasons to not buy off amazon but the price yeah. point is price points one of them well i'm happy to uh, to reassure you all that as always here on type 40 all the the major links will be in the show notes to the episode and in the description of the video track too so people will be in no doubt about where they can get hold of a world of demons the villains of Doctor Who for themselves, hopefully before yeah, before they all they all run out. That would be a great shame. I agree, and uh, yeah, the uh, the publication. In fact, it should be published by the time we drop this, so they they could well be flying off the shelves already. But you do do as the guys say, get in there, get your copy. Makes a great Christmas gift too, you know. 
all the, <laughs> all this talk of of, uh, of villainy and and shows past. Obviously, we're on the threshold of the show's sixtieth anniversary. And uh, you know, Shane, you you mentioned Stephen Moffat earlier on. Do you do you think that there is still a lot of um, a lot of gold to be mined from this topic and and from these sides to to human nature in Doctor Who? And do you think that uh, that Stephen Moffat or Russell T Davies and Chris Chibnall are there any things that they've they've missed? What are the biggest things that they've missed? You think during their tenures as showrunner? Um, I don't know if it'd be fair to say missed because the thing about why I think this is this is my favourite character, fictional character, and why the show has lasted so long, is because its ability to shapeshift and kind of be anything. Um, my, I mean, we won't go into talking about the current future of the show, but I do feel that the show with when Shooty Get takes over, I don't think he's going to play it like someone. Usually, with certain doctors, this doctor's a bit like that one. Um, Matt Smith was a bit like Trout and. Ten felt a bit like Davison. I don't think Shugat was going to feel like anyone. And so there is all there's always more as long as there's people who want to watch a show. And there's always more story to tell because there's always new ideas for stories. Like we, we can sometimes as fans get a little bit paranoid and concerned about the future of the show. But one thing I've never been worried about is they'll just run out of stories. As the world changes, our ideas of heroism change and therefore so do our, our ideas our concepts of villainy and how that manifests itself in day-to-day life doesn't it and which is which does affect our fiction i was to say kerblam is a great example of that right it's a, a very obvious metaphor for amazon and, and how you know one company can be so dominant and what it means and the dangers that story wouldn't have taken place 10 years ago makes you wonder doesn't it what's brought russell t davis back to the show hammer you know he was there he was the guy that brought silence in the library he was showrunner during that time just make you wonder what's brought him back to the show what new he's seen and the stories that he wants to tell uh, about us about the about the good and not so good sides to to all our nature as well as the the fantasy the fantastical Uh, how do you feel about russell coming back I'm I'm excited about it. I mean, I loved I loved his last series. I've definitely heard, and I haven't decided whether I agree with this or not. But I have been asking myself the question a lot. Of, I mean, is his obsession with David Tennant like what effect is that going to have? I haven't really come down on either side of it. Of like whether friendship, I think you know, friendship, yes. trusted friendship, friendship, and working relationship. Is Obsession's rather a loaded I mean, word. <laughs> simply, simply in terms of, I guess. I mean, it's not even him. It's really more of the fan base. I mean, there are so many. He is so many people's favorite doctor and he's, he might be my, like, I love him. I love him. I don't know. It's, it's interesting to see how we're going to go from what's coming up next into Shurigatwa. And I think, but I do think one thing I'm very, very excited about, and I'm trying to maintain this excitement and not concern. And the concern has nothing to do with Davies and everything to do with the world that we're living in. Right. A question that's been asked by radical leftist fans of science fiction, which is a community I'm very much a part of, um for years is but what about racism right how do you have a person of color travel back to a few hundred years ago in any country especially the u.s how do you deal with these issues how do you deal with the way that systematic oppression has evolved over time and how dangerous it is for somebody who is not a straight white man to exist as themselves in other time periods 
Um, and I'm really hopeful that Davies is going to be able to address that in a nuanced, meaningful way. I mean, I think it would be it would be difficult to avoid talking about that question. Um, Why do you think that? Just because because Shirigat was the first person of color to play the doctor. Um, Does it matter? He's just the color of his skin. Is it, is it relevant to, perf in to this, performing the character? I mean, in this day and age, with everything about in, Brit in Britain, it really isn't. I know it's slightly different in the no, States. That's fair. that's fair. So maybe it's not. I mean, that's that's also a question. That's certainly my American perspective on the show, which might not have anything to do with the way that the people at BBC are thinking about what they're doing next. It has been so very central to the to every conversation about media. I mean, this is a big this is a big debate in Star Trek fandom at the moment is is it have we gone too far? You know, and I could I could talk about Star Trek for days too. This is not the moment for that. But um I don't know that's that's what's on my mind and I don't I guess you're right. I mean, putting it in the context of the British perspective versus the American perspective really puts a different spin on things. It's not influential necessarily in terms of how Shooty plays it. It's influential of how people would treat him as would respond to the character. The same way that you don't get an episode, the one with the witch finders and Jodie Whittaker's thing, when she's being tried as a witch. That doesn't happen if it's not a woman playing it. That doesn't because happen. It's, it's, but it's, not a con it's not a consistent line. There are, it's, it's really only a case of certain moments in human history at certain places on the globe, isn't yeah. it? Yeah, 100%. Where that would... 100%. And also, but shoot to get is on record as saying he wants an episode in Africa. He's yeah, I saw, I saw that. I saw that interview of him talking about. Did you see the promo video? Yeah, he was speaking I for did. about two minutes about the kind of stories uh, he'd like to tell, and his eyes lit up, and he was, and he was describing because I don't know, I don't know much about about that kind of mythology, and it just sounded wonderful. I thought, yeah, I'm down for that. Just the same way as 12 years ago, I had no idea who Matt Smith was. And so I'm wondering, you know, who is this person? And I, I thought, well, should I go and binge watch everything he's ever been in, Hannah? <laughs> the way that people do. But I thought, because, you know, apparently this show is, the sex education is fantastic. But I thought, no, I'll, I'll, I'll wait until he's on screen and until I see him in that character, Ken, and playing, if, if he gets it right, and if Russell writes it the way, with the balance that he used to have. I doubt it's the point in coming back to the show if he's going to write it exactly the same way, but I love the way that Russell did balance the, the light and the dark sides of that character and to see which that actor, how he sort of chimes with both of those to bring us a fully rounded Time Lord who can sometimes himself almost seem, if not the villain, we're in no uncertain terms that the Doctor also has his own dark places too and that's one of the things that i've always enjoyed the most about the character that he, that he could flip shane he could he could actually become just as you said he could become the villain of this story with the right sort of prodding it is the doctor really the hero on the waters of mars fantastic story love that story Tremendous oh, we could we could go and go and go on this couldn't we but uh, yeah let's remind people this is a world of demons the villains of doctor who it's a price nineteen dollars and ninety nine cents but I think you can shop around, can't you, Ken? And you can, different retailers have got this for different prices all over the world. It's up for, for pre-order. You can buy it directly, just like Shane said. It's up on, on lots of retailers. We'll make sure that there's links in the description. Do some of the work for you, of course we will. <laughs> Don't worry about that. Looking forward to seeing how it's received, everybody. And for when you go on your book tour as well, Hannah, that sounds 
very, very exciting. You have to pack a lot of sandwiches. (laughs) 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 And yeah, you're going to be... So Chicago TARDIS is the first one. That's over the weekend of the 25th and the 27th of November there. And then it sounds like you'll have a very busy 60th anniversary year there. Plug in the book. I hope you don't feel left out, Shane, Um, over over here in Britain. I'm happy the book, because we've all been working on this for a while now. So I'm kind of happy the book is out and available for other people. Uh, other people to purchase would you potentially be interested in contributing to a a follow-up book if not on the same topic then certainly the same kind of formula has this scratched an itch if i had an idea i wouldn't want to write something that i for the sake of writing i'd have i need a take Um, because we we do this i mean you know if if you're skilled if you're an editor and a writer just like like hannah is or a lifelong fan like ken is we do this uh, Partly, I think, to, to challenge ourselves, Hannah, to, to see if we can. Let's say you were offered this. Yeah, just go for it. I, I'm not a part of Doctor Who fandom, but I like this show. I, I can do this. And I think this is why this show appeals to so many creatives and whether they're artists or writers or cosplayers. It's the same thing in principle, isn't it, Ken? You must meet so many creative people running conventions, running panels and things. And this is actually, you know, you, you said a lot, well, Hannah maybe doesn't feel like she's part of fandom. She is now. Because this book is going to be out, and people are going to want to converse. And once that happens, <laughs> like there's no gate, right? You call yourself a fan, you're a fan. It's just, you'll yeah. never leave. <laughs> They've got you. This <laughs> year, and, and, and the wonderful part about Doctor Who is you can pick your spot. You can take the whole thing, or you can say, "Well, I'm just a fan of Matt or David or Tom yeah. Baker, whatever you want." There's no rules. This is meant to be fun, and this is meant to get us thinking and and we do have a great community you know we you meet new people they're very open-minded we chat about things like this and comparing their takes i always think as well because no take on this show and these stories is necessarily is necessarily wrong it's a lot more subjective than i think than a lot of us are really aware until we get if we get a little bit older get a few gray hairs coming in i don't know <laughs> certainly the only thing that we are bound by are the laws of space and time and that goes at type 42 because that's the old girl starting up and calling time on yet another edition of the show i'll be back with another one soon look out for that wherever you found this it could have been at the dedicated home fee for type 40 type 40.podbean.com or maybe we rolled up on the podcatcher of your choice we're on all the major podcatchers pod bay apple podcasts uh, google we're absolutely everywhere doing great on spotify too i think that's the one i prefer even i can use that it's that is <laughs> so yeah, look out for us on stitcher iHeartRadio, tune in all those places we're also on youtube the world's largest streaming platform and we're still on the fabulous fandom podcast network's own master feed that's loaded up with all those all those treats for your ears never mind on the weekly it's coming at you on the daily so please consider a trip sideways in time for more quality shows from the fpn now maybe you'd like to have your say about all of this why not reach out to us all at type 40 through our social medias instagram and twitter at type 40 doctor who or you can email us type 40 doctor who at gmail.com and if you're feeling really brave this is the hardcore stuff you can uh, get yourself real time extra dimensional chit chat over on facebook in the type 40 facebook group that's 
absolutely loaded with regeneration upon regeneration of Doctor Who fans from all over the world, uh, remembering the classic series, talking about the new series and speculating about the all new series due to start around November 2023 with those anniversary specials, then into 2024 with Shooty Gatwa, Russell T. Davies, and whoever else they bring along to. It's a very exciting time to be a Doctor Who fan. We're talking about it all on Facebook there in the Type 40 Facebook group. Don't forget Type 40 Live, our live stream magazine show here on YouTube. That's every Thursday from 8 p.m. We gas about all manner of things that, that are coming up, not just amongst ourselves on the panel, but with you guys out there in the live chat. People can comment along with everything that we're talking about, and we'll do our very best to answer as many of those as we can on Type 40 Live. Okay, what else? What else is to come? Let's have some social media links. Where can people get in touch with you, you can to keep tabs on, on all the convention stuff, on the book, how well it's going, which where you're going to pop up promoting it next, or just to chew the fat about Doctor Who and whatever else you're into. You're on, do you do Twitter and Insta and all these other things? Yeah, I'm at Ken Deep on just about everything. Instagram, Facebook, <laughs> Twitter. Go Twitter deep. It's easy to find. And, of course, LongIslandDoctorWho.com is the uh, the convention website. And, and Dan, thanks so much for having us, really. This has been fantastic to, to spend a little time. Nice to, to, to meet Shane virtually and Hannah, I'll see you in a couple of weeks in Chicago where it'll be a little bit chillier than it is here. Yeah, a little bit. Oh, it's, um, been, it's been a pleasure. Yeah, thank how, you. How so about much. you, Hannah? Where can people connect with you? Um, I do, I'm um, K. Hannah Friedman on Facebook and Hanecdotes on Instagram. Yeah, and thank you so much to everyone. It's It's been a pleasure to chat with all of you. I'm, ex- I'm excited for our little book tour. I'm excited for you all. I love hearing about projects like this. I mean, particularly, I think the Doctor Who fans in particular, not not me, I'm not a big reader. If it hasn't got pictures in, it tends to, <laughs> it tends to blow my mind now. I'm a bit of a comic book guy. Uh, so I'm not a massive reader myself. I used to, used to be. But I know a lot of Doctor Who fans really are. But this is, in truth, this is why I like books like this, because I can sort of... Um, pick them up and put them down i can i can read one of the 17 and you know then i can look at it again in in a couple of days or a couple of weeks and read something else and, and chew it over and that's enough enough i've got very very small brain very very small brain so it's just <laughs> it's just fine for me in those bite-sized chunks shane you mentioned earlier on you do a doctor who podcast as well you just just drop that out there apparently there are other doctor who podcasts ken who knew about what? this Tell us what, tell us the name of your podcast, if you like, but also any social media you'd like to tell people about, any other work that you may do, written word, spoken word, just give them a blast of where they can get more of Shane Thomas. Uh, well, you, the podcast is called Analyzing Doctor Who, the title self-explanatory, and the only social we have is... There's no fat on that, mate. <laughs> no. Do you know how long Cape Top came up with that title? I mean, that's another story. But the, um, the Twitter handle is at AnalyzingDW, it's the only social media. And our podcast is nowhere near as regular as yours. Like I'm currently editing our most recent episode. But as far as like Doc 2 conversation, always available there for that. There you go. So that's all the places you can find Shane, Hannah and Ken. And they'll be in the, I know, I know, we do the work for you as always. They'll be in the description of the video and the show notes of the podcast as well. So you'll be in no doubt about where you, can, where you can catch up with them and where you can get hold of this book too. Get it in your life, get it on your shelves or gift it to the Whovian in your, I said Whovian. That's an American word. I shouldn't say that. Sorry. No, Sorry. that's a great <laughs> word. <laughs> you can gift it to the Whovian in your life. You can find me on Instagram and Twitter as the Spacebook where I'm wheezing and groaning, ranting and raving about all things geeky inside and outside of the TARDIS. Whatever catches my eye, my imagination or both. And now and again, I even talk about real life. I put a picture of my son up the other day. I, did. I hope he doesn't see. <laughs> 
yes, so that's where you can find me on social media. Uh, thank you, everybody, for your company. It genuinely, it's it's been a blast. I'd love to have you back at some point. I'll talk about a book or talk about anything else. Just like talking about Doctor Who, really. So thank you, everybody. And thanks to you for listening. We always have the time if you have the space here at Type 40. But that's it for this time. We'll catch you again soon. Bye-bye. <laughs>